revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm. Welcome to Medicine on Call, where it's all about living and the solutions. Today I have a really important guest on, Mr. I'm sorry, Dr. Jack Cochran. Um, he served as the National Executive Director of the Permanente Federation of Kaiser Permanente, serving over 21,000 physicians and 10 million members. He began as a clinical plastic surgeon at St. Joseph's Hospital in Denver for over 20 years, where he also served as president of the medical staff and a member of the hospital's board of directors. He then became the president of the Colorado Permanente Medical Group, leading until 2007, when he assumed the role at the Federation. The Federation's focus is on clinical improvement and innovation, achieved national recognition, and led to extensive collaboration with the White House and U.S. Senate on national health care policy. And what we're going to talk about today, I believe, is the direction our health care system is going and the future of health care. And I wanted somebody who could talk as a physician, as well as somebody who's a leader in the, in I guess IT innovation and what we can expect as doctors and patients coming online. So, Dr. Cochran, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on, because I think our healthcare system is in flux right now, and I think people are confused about what they, you know, where it's going and 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 how they should try to access it. So, in your opinion, what's our what's the direction of our healthcare system? There's definitely not a single direction of our healthcare system any more than there is a healthcare system. We mm-hmm. have a healthcare industry in the United States, and it has multiple models and multiple facets. And what is most interesting, and on the one hand uh, encouraging, on the other hand perplexing, is some of the contrasts that we see today in healthcare. So, for example, we hear and read regularly about miracles. Uh, advances, breakthroughs, new treatments, new hope, uh, new ways to treat conditions that have been, uh, you know, really problematic for people for a long time, which provides great encouragement and great uh, hope. And yet, at the same time, a day does not go by when an article doesn't come out about the unevenness of quality of care and the, the problems with medical errors and and uh, uh, difficulties with access and major articles regularly now about the affordability of health care. So the contrast is that uh, the unfortunate truth is that we have some of the greatest care in the world with miracles and breakthroughs occurring every day and providing great hope, and yet medical error remains the number three cause of death in this country after heart disease and cancer, and ahead of trauma and, and other conditions. And bankruptcy, uh, medical bills, is the number two cause of family bankruptcy after job loss. Mm-hmm. So this contrast is really remarkable. Well, I think that patients really don't have a feeling for why it's so expensive. And we talk a lot on the show about innovations, about how doctors are out there working outside the box to get rid of the middleman and try to be uh, more of an, in alignment, I should say, with their patients in terms of their financial responsibility. How did we get to this point? How did it get so expensive, in your opinion? 
part of it is the necessary consequence of all of the advances and the miracles. They are really remarkable, and they take lots of the time, money, and research. But we also have had a pretty wide-open uh, free market kind of a system for a long time, uh, and, and it, each of these additional treatments or therapies or medications or devices that comes along uh, has been added on as another cost in the process of care. They have been uh, focused on uh, clinical outcomes and on making people better and not so much focused on total cost of care, affordability, etc. Those concepts, while they are not brand new, have not really been focal points, especially for the delivery system. I mean, for many years when I focused on care, it was do the right thing, take care of the patient, get the best results, mm -hmm. and the rest of it will take care of itself. Either the insurance company or the patient or somebody will take care of it. Well, unhappily, um, there's a limit to that type of inflation. And so when I entered the practice of surgery, uh, health care was about 10% uh, of GDP. So it was still more expensive than any place else in the world, but it was 10% of GDP. And I believed I practiced ethically and did the right things and, and did sound business practices, et cetera. I didn't feel like I was contributing to the problem. But today, healthcare is 18% of GDP. That is true wealth transfer. That wealth transfer of GDP has gone from someplace to healthcare. And if you look around the, the country at, at, at budgets of governments, at budgets of corporations, uh, it has come from other things, education, it has come from security, it's come from infrastructure, it's come from wages and raises. So it is, it has been a true wealth transfer that has not had, that has come from someplace. And that's part of the problem. Now patients and families have had a sheltering of this reality for a while because they've had um, coverage, either insurance or government or some sort of coverage for a lot of their care. And that has kind of insulated it. The bill went through a third party like an insurance company or an employer. Well, as the inflation continued, as the costs continued to rise, unhappily, something else had to happen to try to stem this. And one of the attempts to try to control costs came along as what was called cost sharing or higher deductibles and that sort of thing. And so... Again, the, the net impact is very little. It didn't really stop the inflation. It may have slowed it some. But here's the unhappy truth today for many families and, in fact, for many uh, employers. The, the concept of cost sharing says, well, <clears throat> the word used is skin in the game or whatever. The patient and family has some skin in the game. They will be more prudent in their decisions. So there's two facts that have been proven about cost sharing. Number one is the intended consequence, which is people will be more thoughtful in terms of demanding care that's not this marginally uh, effective or marginally indicated. They may think twice. Mm -hmm. And that's, that has some merit. However, the other consequence, which is patients will defer, deny, or delay necessary care, has also happened. And the, the stark reality of this today is borne out in the family unit all the time. Families are rationing health care at their kitchen tables. And, and what do I mean by that? Well, a family says, we've got to stop these uh, large 
uh, health insurance premium increases. Their, the health insurance premium is now over 800 over 1200 a month for our family. It's eating away at our, essentially, the American dream. Mm-hmm. So we, we have to do something to stem this. So we will go for a higher deductible. Mm-hmm. And what happens is for that, for that higher deductible, so maybe their old deductible was nothing or $1,000 or something like that, <clears throat> and their and their premium was uh, $800. Well, now the premium is $1,500, and they say, I want to keep it at 8 And the insurer, insurance company, or the employer says, okay, to keep that down to $800, you're going to have to take on $5,000 deductible. Mm-hmm. And at, at, at the surface, that sounds like it may work. You know, I've come down to 800 We probably don't have that many bills anyway that we don't remember. Well, it's really a bet. It is, a, it is a family making a bet that they will get lower premiums and they won't have to pay all that deductible. So how does that play out? <clears throat> well, here's a family of four. And by the way, these are not homeless people on the corners. These are not poor people. These are average families. We are either well acquainted with them because they're part of our family or they're our friends or people that work with us or for us. So these families are now facing a $5,000 deductible sitting around the kitchen table, and uh, the father says, well, um, Johnny needs to get uh, his tonsils out, and we've got to have that scheduled, and it's a $1,000 deductible. And the wife says, well, our refrigerator went out this morning. We're going to have to spend the $1,000 this month on the refrigerator. And at that moment, health care is rationed at the family kitchen table. Mm-hmm. Another example would be uh, the, the wife needs a, an MRI, and the husband's clutch goes out on his truck, and that's how he gets to work. These are not hypothetical situations. These happen every day in this country as patients and families are struggling with how to pay for health care and everything else in their family budget. So that's, that's a real truth that we now have seen as the scenario of cost-sharing and cost-shifting, which was intended to try to stem costs, is playing out real time. I think you did a wonderful job of of explaining and putting on the table the problem. I want to explore a little bit more about that when we come back from our first break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Are you having problems with persistent bad breath, constant throat clearing, hoarseness, a cough that won't go away, a sore throat, or a feeling that something's always stuck in your throat? Why not find out what the problem is so it can be fixed? At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking time to work with our patients as a team to get to the root of the problem. Make an appointment today to see why Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Call 404-591-9100 or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com. From treatment of sinusitis with balloon dilation to minimally invasive office procedures to correct snoring, Peachtree ENT Center offers state-of-the-art care. We also specialize in price transparency. You'll know the cost of our ENT services before they're rendered, whether you have a high deductible plan or no insurance at all. Make an appointment today to find out why Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Call 404-591-9100 or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com.
Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Dr. Cochran. Um, he's an author as well as a healthcare policy expert. And before the break, we were talking about the problem with cost sharing, cost shifting. I want to explore too. I, I asked at the beginning, where do you think the money? Who's making money on this? I guess that's my my next segue. The patients have been, I think, indoctrinated to believe that it's the physicians that are causing this cost in healthcare to rise. I personally don't think that's the case. I think that the physicians have actually been removed from it because the sitting across from your patient, you no longer have the fiduciary, depending on who you work for, the fiduciary responsibility may not be to the patient, it may be to the hospital, but you have the insurance company sitting right in there with, in the room with you, and I've just finished seeing my patients for the day, and maybe 30% of them forewent did not have an, an, a needed procedure because of their deductible. That's how it's affecting me on a day-to-day level. And it's not me. My price is the same. hasn't changed for eight years. It's the insurance company. What's your take on the reason that this, this cost is so high? And who is it shifting to? That's my question. I'd just like to amplify what you just said um, to put it in context of one of the other problems in healthcare which is professional satisfaction of caregivers. If you are a caregiver like a physician, it also applies to other members of the healthcare team, but you realize that you're actually shifting your decision-making a little bit away from what you think is best to get to something that the patient can afford, Mm -hmm. that weighs heavily on us. That's not an easy context from which to practice. And so... um, depending on how much it is, how big the issues are, how often it happens. It's, it's, it's a career dissatisfier for, for some physicians. What I would say is that this is the reality, and if you want to know where the money is going, um, one of the uh, things that's all too common is the finger-pointing. Well, let's point out to who's making lots of money, and within medicine, there has been a gradient between the um, procedural, interventional uh, specialist versus primary care and the cognitive, as they call specialties, that is uh, more more pronounced in the United States than it is in other countries. But So there is a gradient within the specialties of medicine uh, where, where some physicians are actually making a lot of money and others are making significantly less. So there's some of that. Mm-hmm. There's also... Um, the way that devices and pharmaceuticals are developed, approved, and priced in our country is a little bit of a free market. There is also uh, the intermediary called insurance and insurance companies, and insurance companies are very uh, astute and accomplished at managing finances and managing risk. That's their expertise. I sometimes say to people, when you go to those um, large cities. Did you ever notice the names of the biggest buildings? Did you ever see a Prudential building or a Hancock building? Did you ever see any of those? So insurance business is big business. It is run by people who understand managing money, managing risk, and all the things, all the nuances within it. So insurance companies have generally done well. Pharmaceutical and device companies have generally done well. For physicians, the uh, results are mixed. Some have done extremely well. Some have done not so well. 
for um, hospitals, it's been similarly mixed. Some hospitals do extremely well. Some don't do as well at all. And part of that for hospitals can relate to case mix, the local economics, who is in their community, that they, their catchment area, do they draw extensive numbers of uninsured versus affluent, a lot of variables. So really what is going on in terms of the inflation is that it is distributed very, very uh, unevenly. And so some people have done extremely well, and others have really had a hard time of it. And that's, that's one of the reasons why it's so hard to try to say, uh, we're going to figure this out by pointing our finger. Ah, it's the drug companies. We're going to pick on the drug companies and do price controls. Not so fast. That's not exactly the whole story, number one. Number two, that those, those are the companies that create the research that pr- produce the miracles. Or, well, it's the doctors. Let's let's... Let's cramp down on those doctors. We've got to see that they don't get quite what they want to. It's a little more complex than that. So there are lots of issues. There are lots of places where we can create some efficiencies. And the complexity of the system is such that it's really hard to just say, if we just do A and B, everything will get better. And that's a very simplistic view that is the reason we had things like cost sharing. Well, if we have cost sharing, people have a little uh, personal responsibility. They will... uh, spend money more judiciously, and then we'll have less uh, costs. Well, it's a little more complex than that. Well, I think it may be, maybe we should go back and strip this down to the bare bones. Instead of people who absolutely provide no value, which are the middlemen who don't provide the service, don't sit across from the patient, don't have the malpractice side of it, the risk is with the physician, and that's the person who's at the outside looking in. And I think there are studies that are showing now that doctors who are in private practice cost their patients a fraction of those who work for corporate, big corporate interests. So there has to be something to be said, I think, for going back to basics where it's just the doctor and the patient and the insurance companies not having their hand poked out for the first health care dollar. As soon as they took advantage of that, that's when the patients lost control, and that's the mindset. You're absolutely right. If you don't know where the, who's paying for it, then you want to get whatever you want to get. Now they're, you know, I think reality check is hitting, but it was a whole different ballgame when the patient had to pay for the office visit, and they were using their insurance absolutely. for big-ticket items. We need to move back to that. That way it would be cheaper for everybody, and people would be able to, to purchase insurance that works for them instead of being pushed into the system where you're literally paying to just have a piece of plastic in your pocket. You can't afford to go to the doctor. You well, can't afford to buy the medication. What's the point? There's, there's another piece to that, which is, um, and, and the, the word transparency has been overused and, and, and sort of worn out in some ways. But, for example, a replacement of a knee joint in one hospital might cost $25,000 and in another hospital $75,000. And those are both uncomplicated knee replacement, three days in the hospital, three hours of surgery, anesthesia, and all that. Mm -hmm. So there's tremendous variations in prices. And how those prices are arrived at, created, and and placed onto the bills is extremely opaque and very Mm -hmm. hard to sort out. So, So the transparency is there. And the other thing is, what are the quality outcomes? The beauty of what's going on today as we have more and more data with more and more algorithms and insights to analyze data is that there's a, it's a little bit hard to hide. When I started out in practice, 
the only quality only quality measure that I was subjected to was at the hospital, and what they measured was infection rates or deaths or or very little else. And so all of us looked sort of average. It looked like the Lake Wobegon Clinic. Everybody was above average. Well, today we now say, well, this particular doctor does this operation in two hours, and this one does it in six hours. This has this infection rate. This has that infection rate. We're starting to develop not only some true information out of this data, but actionable information. So if I find out I've got a infection rate of six percent and the norm is two percent, I've got a couple of I've got a couple of a couple of options here. Either I get better, or at some point in time, people just say. We're not going to include him in our insurance or in our hospital or mm-hmm. in our group. Mm-hmm. So, so measurement is new at the level and at the level of sophistication it is. So, for example, not too many years ago, uh, if I was a, a doctor, you would, you would judge the quality of my work by the number of people in my waiting room. You know, if I was really busy, I must be really good because a lot of people were coming and doctors were referring to me, and there was actually... Some correlation at times, but almost none at other times. So now we say, well, so-and-so is a nice person and charming, but guess what? Their infection rate is three times the one down the hall. Wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. So mm-hmm. we're now, uh, we are now uh, prepared to have more sophisticated decisions in terms of how we uh, select hospitals, doctors, procedures, etc. So that the, the data and the ability to analyze and study and uh, and therefore improve is starting to become very exciting in the sense that we actually are seeing now it's 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 scary if your data looks bad but the the days of saying nobody's going to touch me anyway i'm here forever physicians now are going to have to take performance information and say yep i've got 20 more years in this business i'm going to have to do this learn to do this a little bit better and i'm going to learn from my colleagues so there is a very good side to measurement when you first get it uh, as a doctor, for example, it's sort of scary. Like, who are you measuring me? I'm board certified. I practiced for 10 years. I'm this, I'm that. Well, we're actually, doc, we're measuring everyone. We're just trying to understand what our results are and how to get better. And and that came after the era where the physician was pretty much in charge. And so you go back to the cost of health care. In spite of all the administrative issues, and I'll talk about those in a minute, and growth of administration, it's still roughly true that 80-plus percent of every health care dollar is spent on health care delivery. And those decisions are, are intermediated by insurance companies, but most of those decisions happen between the doctor and patient in that trusted relationship. You know, I'm going to stop you there because we have to take a break, but... I'm going to argue that point when we come back. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. 
and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Dr. Jack Cochran. He is the executive director of the Permanente Federation of Kaiser Permanente. And before the break, you were talking about the healthcare dollar. But when we, I'm talking about the physician, not the healthcare delivery system. And physician, I've read, is about seven cents of the healthcare dollar. The rest is going to various members of the healthcare system, hospital-based, the administrator's 16 to 1, doctor-administrator ratio. We have a lot of a lot of fluff in the system that doesn't provide patient care. They do a lot of job. I agree with you. There's a lot of data that's being collected, but do we really have to spend that much money to collect it as opposed to patient care or the, the person who's delivering the patient care? And I have a corollary to that. I'm seeing on the front line that the insurance companies are now practicing medicine. So instead of them listening to my clinical judgment based on my Academy of Otolaryngology, what what they say is standard of care, there are guidelines just written nilly-willy by the insurance companies telling me what I can and cannot do, which have nothing to do with medicine. And I think they're more actuarial than real. What's your take on that? Well, you, 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 you've really got us down to the crux of some very important issues. And th- there is no doubt that uh, I did not attempt to uh, indicate <laughs> that the 80 cents was going somehow, somehow to physicians. And, and that it's just so that in general, it can be allocated in, in the classic budgeting process into the care delivery process. I see. Now, what has happened, I've seen the, this graphic and it's just, I'll send it to you, it's just stunning. And it shows from 1970 to 2010, so 40 years, the uh, graph of healthcare costs, and it's a pretty steady upward slope, the number of physicians, 40 years, it, it was a little more than doubled, and the number of healthcare administrators, and it, it went up even faster than healthcare inflation. We have grown an administrative infrastructure in healthcare that is amazing, and it's, it is a significant part of the overall equation. This is why, in my writing, in my experience, in my teaching, I have, and you, you read this in the new book, I believe that physicians have to opt in to issues of healthcare more broadly than just the exam room. When we go into our exam room and we do the work, the lofty calling that, that we believed in and still believe in, and we go out, we've done what we were commissioned to do by our moral authority, by our hard work, by our education. But while we're doing that, all these other things around us are happening around healthcare, inflation, and drugs and death. And if we simply say we're just going to stay in our foxhole and fight this battle alone, believe me, large mega corporate America is going to continue to roll forward. Mm-hmm. Physicians have to embrace that the healthcare calculus is more complicated than just the role of healer. Patients encounter the healthcare system physically, socially, psychologically, financially. And if we say, I'm only involved in these two issues, the other four, you're on your own, then who's going to 
interface with the patient. It's going to be actuaries. It's going to be people coming from all the boardrooms of all these companies. So that's where physician as leader comes in. Physician as leader says, I don't have to have an official title or a job, but I am going to be concerned and I'm going to opt in and I'm going to understand what's going on because I think the physician slash nurse slash pharmacist, a clinical voice should be present when difficult issues are debated. Mm-hmm. And the last one, the healer, leader, and partner, physician as partner has had to learn but healthcare is much more complex than it used to be. It's no longer the computer is the physician brain and the chart is the paper chart in their office. The, the world is now much more complex, and so physicians have to understand how do they work better with nurses and other specialists and, and other people because you have to be a partner and not just the person in charge, the omniscient you know, surgeon or doctor in charge. Physician as partner also says, I'm not just going to have my IT people tell me what to do. I'm going to learn enough to be a, uh, a formidable opinion uh, piece of the IT discussion. I'm not going to be in charge because I'm not an IT person, but I'm not going to roll over and say all IT decisions come out of the IT department. Never. So physician as healer, leader, and partner is a different paradigm, and I would, I would say it's an essential paradigm for the future of patients and for the future of our profession. And it it is very hard to do that from a solo, small practice. That's why physicians are becoming more aggregated in groups and in systems. And those are two-edged swords. That's a whole other interview because you can get yourself into a system where you actually have lost exactly. your voice and lost your control. That's not the kind of system. I'm talking about a system where you have a substantive role and you have a substantive participation in governance and decision-making. That's physician as leader. And physician as, I talk about healer, leader, partner. I don't talk about employee. Well, actually, I have a question about the physician as leader. When people join these these hospital systems, and I was a member of one and became the medical executive committee, um, bringing down, you know, their dictates from on high, and we just had to take what they told us to take. And to me, it was... This particular example is they were going to have the emergency room doctors admit patients, not talk to the doctor on call, and just once they're there, you have to see them whether they're your specialty or not. And we didn't have a choice. So I'm thinking that most doctor relationships with the hospitals is like that. And if you complain, either you have to quit or you go through peer review or it's not. It's very um, it's punitive. How do you get yourself in a position where you actually are equal and you, your your voice yeah. counts and you're not seen as the enemy because it's all about making money and not and not necessarily about taking care of the physicians? And I've seen the opposite movement now where doctors who joined have left their hospitals, yeah. couldn't stand it, have gone and opened up, you know, boutique practices or cash-only practices because you cannot win at this game. They don't respect us. You're assuming, I think, that they think that we should have a voice. I don't believe that they think that we should. I think that we're the enemy. They want us to be the workhorses and make them their money by the coding, but then shut up and do your job. That's how I've been seeing or approached and seen it unfold. Is there a different way? Because I'd be happy to hear about that. Well, yes, there is, and and you are right, and your your passion is is well understood, and, and I appreciate it because you're, you're this is the heartbreak of the physician professionalism, isn't it? Yeah. And and those are ba- those are bad structures from a governance point of view. They are physicians being aggregated to control them, 
not to make them formidable leaders of health care. Now, there are many examples in this country. You can look at the Mayo Clinic, Kaiser Permanente, the Cleveland Clinic, Intermountain Health, where if you talk to physicians there, they're not 100% happy every day. But they believe that they have substantial say in what they do. And so those are very heavily physician-led, physician-governed medical groups. And they are also much more formidable because of their aggregation and because of their commitment to in, in dealing with hospitals and in dealing with uh, insurance companies. But when we say we're going to make it better by going to work for a hospital and turning over all these other things to them, that is a fool's journey. And, and there's a lot of that right now. Mm-hmm. And people are not not happy with their choices. You're exactly right. I mean, those are systems that we all know of, Cleveland Clinic and Mayo, et cetera. If you're in a community hospital, how could you start that, in your opinion, how would you be able to start that conversation that to swing that pendulum back towards equality in terms of power? Because I'm not sure how doctors do that if they're not in systems that already are created with the doctor as the as part of the system or as part of the collegial you know, group. I think everything else is... I think the hospitals rule. I've seen them literally put doctors out of business at their competition and they have a surgery center. They'll just buy it and close it. They, they're not playing games out in the real world. They want no competition to be the only game in town. And when you have that, you get to set the price. You get to run the show. That's what we're trying to guard against, I think. That's exactly right. I, by the way, I, I didn't say in this process this is really simple. Just do this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't say that. Oh no, I think it is difficult. You have, you, but I think what you have to do is you have to continue to do your work and do it well, and to try to get people that understand reality to understand you. And so that's patients, mm-hmm. that's other people. Uh, the, the, the employed model, I've never been in favor of it. I've never been part of one. I've never been employed by a hospital or a health insurance company because I think you're right. You essentially seed that over, and and the employed physician leader is also typically a, a lot more like the uh, business person that was there before them than they are like the leader of the Mayo Clinic, for example. So I think it's a very it's a very different model. It is not uh, it's a control model. Uh, I think, and I also think there's a lot of uh, variability in those. There are some that are like this, sort of like the ACOs. Mm-hmm. Some of them turns out that they're working pretty well, but those those that are working well have strong leadership. They they have, and even if it's not all physician leadership, the physicians are sitting down toe-to-toe with the finance people and the IT people and having substantial input into the decisions that are made as opposed to, well, we found this, uh, we went to a conference, we found this IT system, here it is. <laughs> and so that puts us that puts us in the, on the defensive, and, and we actually overreact, and, and we, we really can actually be very uh, destructive in terms of making things not work. So it's uh, those those models I do not consider at all like the model I worked in at Kaiser Permanente. We had a substantial position leadership. We had our own organization. Our relationship with the health plan was a contractual relationship that we negotiated every year. Mm-hmm. And once the contract was signed, we, we managed the care and managed the money ourselves. There's risk involved. You can't just go over and neither side can run the, the other one over. But it was a very balanced governance model. And without balanced governance, you really run the risk of having these 
tangential solutions, which is, you know, employ these doctors until they, you know, blow up. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, notion, the notion of leaving that for a boutique practice, it, I call it one of the adaptive behaviors for physicians. It certainly does work for that physician and for the practice if, if there is enough patients to pay for it. Mm-hmm. But, it does not, but it does not add to the overall issues of improving health care because health care is a societal issue, not just an individual issue. This is, this is where the debate about universal coverage comes together because I've heard liberals and, and uh, conservatives with some significant information come to the conclusion that more universal coverage is good for both the left <laughs> and the right. The, the, oh. the left believes in it because of human rights and, and those kind of things. But the conservatives, the pro-business people, finally say, this cost-sharing, this, this, this business of 18% of GDP is destroying the American capitalistic system. We have got to do something to de- take care of the 18%. Well, you can't take care of it when you got people that are out there getting no care or getting emergency care at high prices. So there are reasons for both the left and the right to think more coverage is good. But then both of them are going to have to come to grips with the issue that that's going to involve probably some uh, rationing from the standpoint of benefits, what's covered, what's not covered, and price controls. So they, they both can get what they want, but they're both going to have some consequences that they didn't necessarily want. And that's because of the complexity of the system and the cost of the system. On that note, let's take our last break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. You're listening to Medicine on Call, the place where healthcare, business, and current events connect. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Dr. Jack Cochran. You know, before the break, you actually. I don't know, you made me think about this, that there are people on both sides of the argument, left and right, who want universal health care. I would submit, I wonder, how many of these people are actually physicians who actually want it versus business people and people who believe that health care is a, a, a right and not a service? Neither one of these guys know what it's really like to be on the front line taking care of patients, and I really submit that the answer can never come from someone who's not in that doctor's office. Neither side understands what it's really like to be able to honestly take care of their patient in a cost-effective manner. They're going to ruin them, and they have ruined the entire system. What they should be paying attention to is the cost. Nobody's talking about the cost. The insurance companies are gouging people. They are literally practicing, and I hate to be uh, say it again, but they're practicing medicine without a license, and they're they're literally taking money from the patient in premiums and not paying the physician on the back end. And there is no consequence for that, especially these ERISA plans, these employer-based plans. It is a wild west. I'm on the receiving end of that every day, and I'm just done with it. And unless they fix that, I don't care who's running it. First of all, it should be the patient. I'd like to see this really be a free market system without all of the corporate cronyism and the all the pay-to-play, if you would strip that out of the system, I believe it would be a lot cheaper and really do make it transparent. I actually believe if you have the independent doctors as an alternative, we will put pressure on the system. Once patients realize, hey, it's only $250 for a CT versus $2,000, which one am I going to pick? 
you know, that's to me, that's how we start the conversation. It's not more centralization. It's more individualization. What do you think about that? Well, I think you uh, you covered a lot of territory there. <laughs> sure did. Uh, in, in, uh, in a short period of time. I would say this. I, I think certainly this notion that we want to have a very open measurement system where we look at our results and we look at what our, we're paying for our results as a good starting point. What, what I think has been missing in our conversation is um, there is there is in parts of medicine an either or. Either you are a doctor or you are a leader. And if you are a doctor, you are subject to the whims of the leader. And there are other models that says physicians are leaders. They're also clinicians. So why do I say that? Well, if you are in full-time practice and they say, we want you to be the chief of surgery and help us with this or that, the old model is chief of surgery goes to a quality meeting the first Thursday of the month and the executive committee the third Thursday of the month in the evenings, and they're paid nothing and they are the chief of surgery, and they go into those two meetings loaded down with data that's come out from some accounting person to show, and they try to make some decisions, and they go back to their work. These are not substantial roles, and the reason is nobody's budgeted for it. Doctors only make money when they're seeing patients. The systems like Mayo, like Kaiser, like Intermountain, like Cleveland, like Geisinger, etc., those systems say we're going to allocate some of our physician salaries for physicians to not see patients and to be in the financial discussions and to be in the IT discussions. We're going to consider leadership an allocatable budget item that, that competes with clinical, and we as a physician group will internally decide how we're going to invest in that. That way, you're not always having doctors on the margin of their existence and their survival trying to be in leadership roles. Mm-hmm. You allocate for it, and then, and then you provide training. You provide leadership development and training so that you're not always at a disadvantage with an MBA who's, who knows this or knows that. So there, there are certainly ways that physicians can go from the completely helpless model where somebody with the, uh, uh, the, the accounting spreadsheets is coming up with formula versus the model where we've got to own and control everything. There are, there are those models. They are working. But even the good ones, even the best ones, are still expensive. And so that's another issue. And, and that's why people looking for legislation and a simple, simple uh, solution, the, the complexity is so high that when I said I've actually had discussions with people I considered quite liberal and quite conservative who came to the conclusion that universal, for different reasons, that, that universal coverage was a good idea. The ultra-conservative, and I'd say ultra, he's a the conservative business person, he says we need universal coverage, but we're going to have to have some price controls and we're going to have to have some some uh, regulation on the on the benefits. Those are not free market capitalistic ideas coming from this conservative. But he's right, and 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 the, then the uh, the human rights people, yes, people then get more coverage. You, you have to have a system that has built in some of that compromise, and that's what people don't want. They want it one way or the other. But the old days of well, the conservatives don't want universal coverage. They have many of them have figured out that that just leaves people out there. And as this one guy said. Uninsured patients are going to be the end of American capitalism. You know, I, how about that? It's a combination. Even the people who have insurance, as we just discussed, can't afford to use it. So what does universal coverage do? You just lock people into buying an insurance plan, but you still have the same underpinnings. An insurance company that gets to decide what constitutes medically necessary, an insurance company who gets to decide what the standard of, of the rate of payment should be, which has nothing to do with the real world, and they're going to be the only game in town. And when the government runs Doctor, it, there's nowhere mom. to go. That, 
That's your model. That's not my model. Okay. That's your model. Well, that's what it is now. I so that. how would well? Tell me how that. we not let the government do what I mean. Medicare is a perfect example of that. So if we're talking Medicare for all, I don't see how that's any different, except it's going to be on steroids than what you just described. How how do we get to oh, what you oh, want, what you're saying? What I said was there are, there are models out there that work, and there are systems that work. How do we extrapolate but they, but they that, though? Not, but, but they are not, well, the notion of, of leading change is very much like, I don't know if you ever studied Everett Rogers. You, you always have the early adopters. You have people who are, who are at the cutting edge, and those are probably the old Kaisers and Intermountains and Geisingers, et cetera, and other people said, oh, we don't need that. We're going to make money in fee-for-service. You have, you have those cutting-edge people, but then you have people that learn from them and, and duplicate that because the, the model that we're talking about, which is employed positions being controlled by other people, Mm-hmm. Is what is really going to make uh, medicine less and less palatable to, to people. But, you know, I talk about it in my book, the 21-year-old idealist. Mm-hmm. 21-year-old idealist was in all of us when we were finishing a grueling collegiate career where we had to uh, study hard, make good grades, just to get uh, into medical school. And now that we're in medical school, now that we're being applying to medical school, we have to write a couple of paragraphs on why we want to be doctors. Well, if we go back. 30 years, 40 years later, and read our two paragraphs, it can bring tears to your eyes. You say, where is the 21-year-old idealist? What happened to her? What happened to him? Mm-hmm. Well, the system the system beat him up. But, but for every um, six doctors who say they want to leave medicine, there's three or four that are extremely happy, and we have to understand what, what is their pathway and what is different. But being employed by somebody where, you know, then your only um, power is, is sort of collective bargaining. It's like being unionized. If you're, if you're really just employed by somebody else, then you've, then you've truly got a boss. These, these practices, which are based on physician groups that are physician-governed and physician-controlled, then can turn and negotiate with hospitals and negotiate with health insurance plans from a very different perspective and a very different level of strength. But they're still negotiating with the insurance company. I guess you have the volume. So if, they, if you run the, a large percentage of the patients in that state or that city, you're going to have a lot more power. Is that what you're saying? Because... You, we yeah. have the, yeah, the patient lives. You better come to our level or we'll not use your insurance company. Is that what you mean? Yeah, and that's exactly right. And like with somebody like Kaiser Permanente, that's an exclusive. That's an insurance company and a medical group in a one-on-one relationship. But Mayo is an all-payer group. The Mayo will negotiate with the Blues. Mayo will negotiate with uh, Signal. Mayo will negotiate. And they've got some cloud because people want them in their network. People want them to be there. They don't want them to um, go up on their own or, even worse, form their own insurance company. So there's, there's no substitute for, to me, for physicians having some level of aggregation so that themselves, not as a group of employees, aggregation themselves so that they can then invest in having leaders, having people that are experts in, in areas so that they have some, some sense that they can empower themselves to have difficult conversations with hospitals and insurance companies. Well, I think for me, I'm happy that you guys are able to carve out your niche and that you have power. But I think there should be choice. And so if patients don't want to enter a huge hospital system, they should be able to see their physician who's not aligned with that type of system. And not everybody fits everything. And everybody should be paid the same way, technically. So then you shouldn't have a situation where the insurance companies are paying hospitals and doctors who are aligned with those hospitals three and four times more for the same procedure that they're paying than they pay for an independent doctor. The system is actually geared so that we fight each other. I say just, if you can, personally, disconnect yourself from it. I mean, if you're small, you can go lean and mean. That's one way to do it, and patients will find you. So, I mean, I think there's 
I'm not a big fan of single payer because we take away choice from everybody when we have that. And I don't want to pay for something that I'm never going to use. I don't want to pay for something that's going to work against me. And I don't want to work for a system where my patients are, I can't offer them the best and the most outside-the-box treatment that I, that, I, that I know will help them. I think there's, medicine just isn't built that way. It's about the individual. You know? I mean, it's right. kind of my take right. on it, but I'm, I'm kind of old school. And I like where you're coming from because at least now I, I, I have an understanding that there are doctors who are coming at it from a different point of view but still want the same thing I do, which is to be their patient, advocate for their patient, and take care of the patient in the best way that they, were, that they know how. Now, in the last minute that we have, how can people buy your book? That's the only thing that keeps the 21-year-old idealist alive <laughs> and viable, is that we, we, are, we are not compromising ourselves. And just one uh, very important detail, mm-hmm. there's a very big difference between universal coverage and single-payer. I am not a single-payer advocate. Okay. I am, uh, universal coverage is different. That's where you create a structure where insurance companies can play, governments can play, other models can play with some level of innovation. Single-payer says we're going to turn it all over to the VA. Okay. Or we're going to turn it all over to, you know, that's that's different. That's so it's different. not single-payer. No, 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 no. Okay. Single-payer is not what I'm, I'm, I'm – I didn't say Medicare for all. Single-payer is different. I think that universal coverage says we will have some way of, of dealing with it. And the, the problem is it never pencils out. It never The financing never works. And so – Next next year we're 20% of GDP and the local um, restaurant has gone out of business because they can't afford their healthcare costs. The, the cost shifting, the cost shifting in healthcare. Think of it this way: it's like hypertension. You can walk along with hypertension for years until what? You have a stroke, and so it's it's very silent. Healthcare inflation is like hypertension. You can go along for a long time, and all of a sudden, a business just can't stay viable and they've got to close their doors or, or, or out of control blood sugar until somebody has, you know, some diabetic problem. There's a, there's a, uh, the healthcare inflation is not something that knocks people out or knocks businesses out every day. But as, as uh, Warren Buffett, arguably one of the best economists in the world, said, we didn't need the corporate tax cuts of 2017 or 2000, you know, 2017. What we needed is to control healthcare costs. He believes that healthcare is the healthcare costs the biggest peril to the American economy. I couldn't agree more. And on that note, I I hate to say, it, but we have to end the show. It went really fast, and I learned a lot because I didn't know there was a difference between universal healthcare and single payer since they were conflated. So that's a really good um, that's a good way to stop. How can people get your book? They can go to Amazon. They can go to Amazon. It's Healer Leader Partner Jack Cochran, MD. And I would suggest if you look in the front, I've had it reviewed by people all over the country, all over the world, people of real substance that think it's good. And the reason I think it's good is it's very, very practical, very approachable. There is there's substantiation. I mean, I've got the science behind the thinking, but this comes from many I call scares and scars from dealing with the management of my physician friends and colleagues for 15 years, and that is no easy task. Thank you so much, Dr. Cochran, for coming on the show today. I look forward to having you back on in the future so we can have another really enlightening and informative discussion. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank you. Have a great day, and thank you for listening to Medicine on Call. Revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm.